y'all. Welcome back to Bulls with the Bard. My name is Cakes. I am your host. And today we are talking to members of our cast of Cymbeline about the character of Imogen. Bulls with the Bard Stoned Cymbeline opens this Thursday, February 22nd, and runs through February 25th at the Coffee Joint in Denver. If you're in the area, we would love to see you, hit a vape with you, and enjoy some Shakespeare with you. But before we enjoy the play together, we thought it would be fun for you to get to know some of our company and for you to get to know the amazing leading lady who makes Cymbeline what it is. But first, as always, I'm gonna get a little high. y'all we are back with allison talvacchio allison who are you playing in our production of cymbeline um i am playing posthumous leonatus and clotten <laughs> who doesn't have a last name i suppose i don't think so although at least he gets a name unlike the queen yes you know women right <laughs> She can't have a name. She's just the queen. Evil women Which in particular. In some ways, is I think is kind of badass. Yeah, yeah, I like it. It makes her feel very much like the evil queen in, like, Snow White, you know? Well, she says at the very beginning, like, don't judge me, like, you know, I'm your stepmother, but I'm not, like, those stepmothers. <laughs> like, how everyone <laughs> thinks about stepmothers. Except, Except I she absolutely is. am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> indeed well i uh i love your pairing in our production it's very fun to watch you bounce between the straight man and the clown but we're not here to talk about either of those characters or the queen today we're here <laughs> to talk about uh imogen so uh what thoughts have you brought today well it's interesting i originally it's kind of hard to think of her in this production, especially as the only woman, woman because there's so many female identifying folks, you know, playing male characters um, like myself. But I was thinking recently in mostly in relation to my character, who is her lover. One of my characters is her husband and and how much his objectives are tied to proving himself worthy of Imogen's love. Hmm. And it's said at the beginning, the first scene describes these two young lovers as like just great hearted people. Everyone loves them. Like we just, you know, we're just, they're just so nice and good. So you, off the bat, you know, you come in with this sense of like, okay, these are, these are, sort of these images of like perfection you know they're kind of put up on this pedestal and then they both like lose trust in each other they well mostly posthumous <laughs> loses <laughs> trust in Imogen um and you know and doubts everything and his whole journey is about for me like sort of discovering a way for himself to like love himself and like become a person in his own right outside of his relationship with Imogen and outside of being tied with her. And then in the end, 
spoilers, like <laughs> that is what lets him be able to come back to that relationship and actually like appreciate it. Um, and I think for Imogen, I mean, I this I'm speaking as more of an observer uh, observer of her character that she doesn't seem to live in that world that people have like placed her up on, which I really love about her character. Like she seems very, she's very down to earth and, you know, treats people, treats her servant as an equal, treats the the mountain men who's like sort of her found family as as equals. And I mean, the line that gets me with her is is when she, you know, they say, oh, we're friends now. And she's like, what friends? Oh, my gosh. And it's just like this it's so beautiful and she never she never loses loses hope like i think a lot of shakespeare's characters especially the female characters sort of get caught up in all of this drama all of this despair that's happening around them and they just sort of throw up their hands and say i'm i'm going to kill myself now um and and she never does that on purpose <laughs> um so I think that's that's something I admire about her character I do think that in terms of like what's written for her there's a lot that happens to her that she doesn't really have a lot of control over um that all the all the male characters in this play sort of decide what happens in the play and and she like as best she can rolls with it and like keeps kind of going and but you know doesn't get a lot of doesn't get a lot of say in in how her her journey goes she just sort of has to has to figure it out based on what's been like happening to her that's very true that's like I I wish she got kind of like a relationship like Helena from Oswald gets with the king where like she gets a scene mm. at the end where she's like okay this is how I would like things to be we're gonna yeah. dictate things now but yeah no she really does just go like oh you're sorry Kay and you're sorry Kay okay <laughs> end of story right right <laughs> well and at the end you know she she has all this despair about you know she's she's sort of lost this found family in the battle sequence and she's lost the the man she she thought was her husband she thinks is dead and um and yet she still comes back to the court and she still stands in front of the king you know and and still and then and then all hell breaks loose and like everyone <laughs> takes their mask off and is like someone else but um again that's all like stuff that happens to her she doesn't necessarily like create that ending for herself but she does at least get to that point she like pushes herself through all the craziness to to arrive there and and be able to let these sort of good things come about for her god and in this play there's so much craziness to push through <laughs> oh my gosh yeah yeah and there's ride. so much traveling too i was thinking about the timeline yesterday i've seen i think i have seen i could be so wrong about this but i think i've seen that imogen is the character who like walks the farthest in shakespeare that's interesting yes 
not a hundred percent on that though. Yeah. Well, they do describe coming from horse. So I think they did take a horse to Milford Haven, but she talks about okay. how, like how long it's been since they, you know, got off their horses and walked to wherever, you know, the spot is where that scene takes place. But yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I'll have yeah. To she has, that. she has quite a journey. She really does. Lots of highs and lows. <laughs> before we wrap up Allison do you have any other thoughts you'd like to add I don't think so I will say like in this particular production I and part of it's because of I think the way the casting worked out but in this production Imogen feels very very equal to everyone else and probably one of the most level-headed and sane characters in the entire play. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I I feel that level of respect. I feel like every character who interacts with Gracie's Imogen has a mm -hmm. level of respect for her like immediately. Which is Well, and she as an actor is so grounded that it really helps. Like I've seen I've seen other Imogens be very kind of like oh this is happening and oh this is happening and oh my gosh oh my gosh and and Gracie is just kind of like well that happened <laughs> moving on yes yeah <laughs> what's next bring it you know <laughs> like which is just like such the right attitude to have especially around all of these male characters at least mine <laughs> that are like that are the ones that go are going oh my gosh oh my gosh what's happening <laughs> like you know yeah yes yeah it, <laughs> it's a it, very like grounding energy to all of us yes it it makes an argument for being like okay but the play is called Imogen right like right really <laughs> my partner actually thought that Cymbeline was a, a female character and was the main character huh. which is an interesting like default to go to because mm -hmm. now I want to go come back to him and be like what do you think like the the role of female characters are in Shakespeare plays because none of them have title roles ever <laughs> yeah real so, like why did you jump to that conclusion I'd be interested to hear what he says the name Cymbeline yeah that was know. a like female character interesting that's so yeah. interesting yeah neither a woman nor the main character mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> though but Marty the king, brings... so it has to be the title yes right. yes and marty definitely brings some main character energy to, oh, yeah. <laughs> to yeah. our cymbeline it's like the first time <laughs> i've ever seen cymbeline have main character energy it's pretty awesome <laughs> yeah um, yeah well it's the first time i've ever like cared about that character yeah because like marty's brought such a a nice like pathos to it yeah but like humor as well and yeah quite a quite a roller coaster for Cymbeline too <laughs> for all of you considering the doubling that you're doing you're <laughs> yeah. you're all on roller coaster rides but yeah. it's really amazing to watch awesome well hopefully everyone else will agree yeah, I know. <laughs> we opened this week crazy. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for doing this, Allison. Of course.
All right, y'all, we are back with Natalie Edwards. Natalie, what is your role in our production of Cymbeline? So I am the stage manager in this production of Cymbeline. Hell yeah, you are. I don't know what we would do without you. You are so incredibly organized. Your emails keep me functioning as an artistic director. So I appreciate you very much. You're welcome. Um, Natalie, what thoughts about Imogen have you thought, have you thought today? Have you brought today? I think a lot about Shakespearean women who are incredibly quick to cross-dress to solve their problems. Um, I think about, um, as you like it, Rosalind, like I've, that's a role that I've personally played as an actor before. And Coming into this production of Cymbeline, I hadn't read Cymbeline. I hadn't seen Cymbeline. Like, this was, like, a very, very new one for me. And all I knew was the character of Imogen. Like, that's the only picture I had coming into this. Because she does get that comparison to Rosalind a lot um, as a woman who goes into this, like, gender journey (laughs) as she's, like, trying to solve the problems that she encounters in the story. And... Gracie, our our Imogen for this production has like really brought a very fun like gender to this character, like this Imogen. And I think about that a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, we get a real transformation when Gracie puts on Fidele. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like you don't always get that like you get the change of clothes but you don't always get a total change of character Mm -hmm. that like real like attempt to embody like and I love it and Gracie does an excellent job with it and it's also like I, I don't know if it's necessarily just like our cut or just the fact that this is one of Shakespeare's shows where he just was like I'm gonna make it everything I'm gonna shove all of these different rabbit holes into this one story and that in that like gender exploration is one of them um but it's like very fascinating to like see how it comes into the storyline as like a solution to the issues (laughs) um because it's a story about war and it's a story about patriarchy and like seeing the way that that like ties into Imogen's storyline is like fascinating to me yeah, I I have had it said to me on this podcast before that Imogen is like the one of the women who dresses up as men who like doesn't come up with the idea by herself, like someone mm-hmm. else kind of gives it to her. That's and fascinating. What I love about the performance of gender in our production is like Gracie's Imogen or Fidele feels kind of like a woman's idea of what a man quote unquote should be like what a man like thinks a man should yes yes interesting (laughs) yeah I like love one I love that we have this cast that's all like woman and non-binary and like I just think that like it's an incredible like pathway to see like Imogen's perspective on all of it um and I, that's fascinating. I didn't know that I like had never heard that she's the one who doesn't come up with the idea on her own. Yeah. It, it's Pisanio. 
Yeah, it really is. It is. And it's now that you like bring up that we have that all female and non-binary cast, I think like what's even more interesting about how Gracie puts on Fidele is like none of the rest of our femme presenting cast put Mm -hmm. on masculinity in that way. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's very, very fascinating to see. And I'm excited to see how it continues to grow through our rehearsal and performance process because it has been incredible to watch and and to think about and to like dissect yeah ditto ditto just the few rehearsals I've been to it's been really cool to watch it like mm-hmm. grow and mold I'm excited like we've got two more weeks to grow and I think it's going to be mm-hmm. something really fantastic I think so too all right well do you have any other thoughts you would like to throw in before we wrap up I don't think so Awesome. Well, thank you for doing this, Natalie. Of course. All right, y'all. We are back with Steph House. Steph, who are you playing in our production of Cymbeline? Hey, Michaela. Um, yes, I am playing the queen, um, which is uh, Imogen's stepmother and uh, Cymbeline's uh, wife. Um, and I'm also playing uh, one of the brothers that were lost, Arvorageous. Awesome. And what thoughts about Imogen do you have for us today? You know, it's hard when you're thinking of women in the Shakespeare canon not to compare them to like the big ones like Rosalind and Viola and uh, any of the ones from like Romeo and Juliet or anything uh, like that. But I think that Imogen is interesting in her own right because she is definitely a woman that takes agency uh, and Shakespeare kind of has put this as set Cymbeline in a um, pre-Christian, very um, archaic society. Uh, And so it's, I feel like it's very revolutionary for her to be like, no, this is not what I want to do. And I'm going to go and I'm going to go my own way um, and kind of forge my own path. Uh, And I respect her for that. I think the scene that we see the best in Imogen is actually the scene with her and Yakimo, where you Mm. directly see her doing that in real time. Like, no, absolutely not. You're not going to, you're not going to convince me to sleep outside of wedlock. Yeah. And I, I, I admire her. And I always, always, uh, as a don't know that I would consider myself completely non-binary, but pseudo non-binary bisexual who I literally, the, the way that I found out I was bisexual was by doing Twelfth Night in high school. Huh. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's always fun to see one of Shakespeare's heroines dress up like a man and be a man. And it's just always fun with that. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I feel like she's also like a great foil for your character of the queen because your queen oh, yeah. does a lot of what she does, too. She's doing a lot of like trying to snag what she wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. It's obviously very ill-intentioned. Uh, <laughs> hates, uh, calls Imogen a scorpion on her deathbed, which is like, I just think that's amazing. And I really want to kind of bring that kind of attitude towards Imogen, um, even though it's really hard because Gracie's really sweet. <laughs> um, but but yeah, just kind of thinking of her as like this insect, even uh, like a, a very um, scorpions. When I think of scorpions, they're like, they're very combative um, and they're poisonous and they're like, it's not, it's not the same thing as calling somebody like a 
uh, like a stick bug or something like that. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's something that is actively in her life that is causing her a lot of anger and frustration and even terror scared. Like, I think that the queen is kind of, is uh, scared of Imogen, yeah. um, which is an interesting thing to think about. Cause like, I don't think of the queen as someone who is scared of anything, but I think that she is kind of scared of Imogen. Yeah. A hundred percent. Because I I feel like if Imogen said the right combination of words to Cymbeline in the right context, uh, the queen would be out of there. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Do you have any other wrap-up thoughts you would like to add? I I just am so excited about this show. And I think that the cast is so brilliant and talented. And I love the, uh, I love that Posthumous and Clotten is played by the same person. Uh, Allison's so freaking talented. Uh, and I, I just, I kind of wish that, because Imogen really does want a very Disney princess kind of, uh, I want to be with my my husband that I've known forever and I've loved him and everything. I wish that we had more scenes with those two kind of uh, just expressing that and we get to see that a little bit more, but we we, we don't, but that's fine. We we can we can fill in our own imagination. <laughs> agreed agreed well thank you so much Steph for coming on the show I am so excited for everybody to get the chance to see you the contrast between your two characters is very fun to watch nice thank you I appreciate you saying that you're welcome and I appreciate you having me of course all right y'all we are back with Paige Flores Medrano Paige what is your role in our production of Cymbeline? Hello. Uh, my role is the position of director. I'm directing this shindig. Yeah, you are. You're freaking crushing it. I come in and laugh my face off at every rehearsal. Um, Paige, what thoughts do you have on Imogen for us today? What don't I have? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I guess my original thoughts that i had a week ago were very different from what i have now because of all of the journals that i've been reading up on how the world of academia and the world of uh feminism looks at imogen's character and a lot of it just has to do with the debate of is symboline a product of show expressing how heroines and feminism is just utterly squashed by the misogyny of the male characters in this world of Cymbeline and it really just makes me so upset that in the OG production she really just was rolling with the punches of her husband her father and every character that is not her brothers or uh Valarius and just trying to figure out the best of the situation, which makes me rightfully upset, but I'm happy with the modern interpretation that we have of her. Do you want to talk a little bit just about what that looks it... like? Yeah, so uh, a lot of it for me in the modern interpretations is now that we have a full grasp of squashing the patriarchy and uh, particularly with this production of having a near all-female and non-binary cast, we really get to see how can we express Imogen's heroism without having to roll and punch with the utter grossness and symbolism of 
her being asleep and being uh, figuratively and symbolically raped and uh, just turning it into something much less vile and disgusting. But Imogen overall is my favorite of the characters just because she is the central moral compass of our story. And she's the one to remind us that, yeah, this is pretty nonsense. <laughs> What's going on here? It's, it's all pretty nonsense. And, that, and that's that's why I love with her modern interpretation of taking back that moral compass as opposed to just being a deus ex machina uh, character controlled to guide the three complicated, complicated stories. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I feel like Gracie simultaneously finds places that she grounds Imogen that really highlight the insanity going on around her and then has also found really lovely places to make her so goofy but not in the same outlandish way the other characters feel like her goofy moments feel very human and relatable and I love that that's what I love too and that's why I every time I watch Gracie perform in any scene that she's in I'm like there's just gonna be something that I didn't think of and she thought of all entirely on her own and I'm amazed that she was able to find those moments because I struggled to find those moments Imogen and interacting with anyone especially when it comes to uh, Imogen and Pisanio that entire relationship dynamic still eludes me because it's thoroughly complicated <laughs> yes it is it is and it's uh, the two of them deal in a lot of drama in a, a production that like we're trying to lean into as much of the comedy as possible uh yeah <laughs> which kind of it kind of works i mean in in every introduction of this script it's always the debate of is this a comedy or is this a tragedy and if you lean into one side how far do you dip into the other yeah, when you suggested this play, I actually thought it was on the comedies list. And then I was like, oh, no, this is this is technically considered a tragedy. Like, I don't know why, because the only characters who die are are sold to us as like the bad guys. And we end with like, uh, like a reunification and forgiveness, which is typically comedy. But like, yeah weird delicate balance with this play <laughs> i i think that uh that's partially a fault of just plays that are written but in the middle of a writer's transition scene a lot of journals that i was reading about this show dictate that it was in the transition period from the first set of shakespeare's work into the later half when it's fully seasoned so i think that might just be a fault of what happens when you write an outlandish show that is in the middle of your transition it's going to be wild it's going to be hectic and everyone's going to debate about it for future generations to come but i will agree it is very wild and outlandish that i thought oh, okay this is just gonna be nice and goofy and then reading it i'm like oh <laughs> this is not goofy whatsoever but that that that's the beauty of it you could lean one side into it and make it entirely the opposite and it'll still work somehow it I think it really does like I feel like 
the moments at which I'm laughing at just how <laughs> weird and wild this production can be balance out very well with the scenes that are more earnest. Um, and they make me appreciate the scenes that are more earnest more as well. Agreed. Agreed. I, I, I'm very happy with this cast and their input and grounding those earnest scenes. It's, it's just nice and seasoned. It's, it's a good work. It it feels like warm chicken noodle soup. I should have eaten before we started recording this, but <laughs> it, it feels like a good, good warm chicken noodle soup, which is what I want everybody leaving from this show is I just want them to feel like we took them on a trip in our favorite rocket ship. And now we have a happily ever after kind of the ending still baffles me, but it, it's, it's the ending. It's when everything comes together and is supposed to be wrapped up nice and tiny little bow. Yes. Yes. We unfortunately cannot unwrite that Imogen does forgive all of these people really quick for some reason. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah that's, that, that's the main thing that I'm still baffled at Gracie being able to execute is how could you find the motivation to forgive your husband who tried to murder you, your stepbrother, step stepbrother. Yeah. Stepbrother who wanted to be your husband and wanted to rape you and how could you forgive every other man that symbolically raped you when you were not conscious there's a lot of sleep it's in a lot production. Yeah. that's so true much that happens asleep <laughs> and imogen is asleep for like oh. pretty much all of it like posthumous gets a moment but imogen gets but experience like shit happening around her and to her a lot while she has no agency she has no agency she has no voice of advocate and it's wild because with posthumous's sleep dream sequence it's entirely morale support good things happen to mm -hmm. posthumous when he is asleep yes he's visited by a god yes and then like goes on to help win a war <laughs> and everything works oh, out God. for him <laughs> so uh, men <laughs> not Lovely. a lot of trauma to unpack there <laughs> oh yeah no absolutely not it's just it, we're just gonna move on <laughs> past from all that trauma love <laughs> love Imogen. I'm I'm glad she has become something new from what her original intent and purpose was. And yeah. I'm waiting to see, hopefully in the future, that someone takes Imogen's story, as long as as well as the other heroine figures who kind of go through what she does, because there's a little bit of tail end, I don't want to say conspiracy, because that implies it's a secret. Similarities between Imogen and other heroines and other shows where they, she just copy-pastes and does what they do for their protection and their needs. So I would like to see someone take all of the heroines from Shakespeare and make a revival story for all of them. <laughs> just get them all in the same room to talk about it. Well, we can't quite do that, but I do feel like 
at the very least, we've landed on an excellent Imogen for Stone Shakespeare. And that makes Absolutely. me happy. <laughs> to anyone producing this show in the future, mustaches, sticky mustaches, get them in all variety, shapes and kinds, because boy, does it add, it adds to the comedy. <laughs> Unless you're taking it seriously, then do what you will. Yes, sticky mustaches and cereal. It's a vibe. <laughs> um, always bring two kinds because you're going to get tired of one immediately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, before we, wa- before we wrap up, before we wrap up, <laughs> Paige, do you have anything else you would like to add about Imogen? Uh, anyone who is playing Imogen or will be playing Imogen, take your sweet time finding her motivations because... Even in the original, it was difficult to find out why she is the moral compass. And I that, that is that is a wish I do not wish upon anyone. But if you ever get landed in this role, take your sweet time. And if someone gives you shit about it, tell them you look at this role and you tell me how I'm supposed to behave <laughs> in this scene. Rationally. <laughs> uh, bye. To all the images, good luck out there. <laughs> I think that's good advice. Well... Thank you so much for doing this, Paige. I'm so happy that you were on the show and I'm so excited for people to see what you have put together. Oh, I am very excited. I'm very happy that you took the chance on me for this production. It's amazing. It's wonderful. We're creating theater. I'm grateful as well. I'm sure we'll be seeing your face around Bulls with the Bard more than just this in the future. All right, y'all. We are here with Linda Swanson Brown. Linda, who are you playing for us in our production of Cymbeline? So I am playing technically six different characters. Uh, <laughs> the two major ones are Valerius, the uh, father in the cave, and Cornelius, the doctor. We also have the first lord. We have uh, the father ghost, Cecilius. Um, we have a, a new sort of stoner character they've added at the beginning <laughs> that was, I think, originally one of the gentlemen. And then in the script we got, it was Cornelius. And we decided as a group, it didn't make sense for him to be those characters. So um, I've named him Keanu in honor <laughs> of the great Shakespearean actor Keanu Reeves. I love it. Um, sorry, I have a cat wandering through. I can't remember who my other character is, but it's fine. I'm playing a lot of characters. Those are the major ones. It's amazing what y'all are juggling. It really impresses (laughs) me like every time I come into the rehearsal room. So we're here to talk about Imogen today. What thoughts did you bring for us? So um, I mentioned this to a couple of people at rehearsal. I've been reading a book called Unlikable Female Characters by Anna Bogutskaya, who is a film critic and programmer in the UK. And one of the things she talks about, she has sort of the different types of unlikable female characters. And she talks about how usually in film and TV, when you have an unlikable female character, she has to be punished. Very often she has to die. I was thinking about that in terms of the queen in our play. You know, we have the two main villains of the queen and Yakimo. Queen has to die horribly offstage. Giacomo gets off scot-free. Giacomo gets forgiven. 
So that was my first thought in this play, not to do with uh, the character of Imogen specifically, but... But fascinating. Right? Yes. (laughs) Like, is what the queen does that much worse than what Yakumo does? No, not really. Not really. (laughs) She's not really... I mean, Yakumo's successful in what he does. She's not really successful in anything. Right? So I thought that was an interesting women in in the play women and Shakespeare in general often don't fare well yeah <laughs> you know thinking about Othello and how Iago also gets away with it all while Amelia and Desdemona have to die who are basically innocent. but getting back to Imogen I think you know I saw two productions of this play when I didn't really know anything about it and in one, it was a very like classical production. Imogen was just very innocent, your character. In one, it was a modernized take where she was uh, very much a like part of a London street gang. All the um, war at the end was a, a kind of Romeo and Juliet style street fight rather than an actual war. Huh. But in both instances, she was maybe didn't have quite as much agency as you would like her have in terms of making her own choices gracie is doing such an amazing job playing imogen she's such a delightful being but she's really found a the absolute humor at the heart of imogen the the mad humor part of imogen but i feel like she makes she makes choices for herself in regards to what she wants from posthumous what she doesn't want from Clotten and Yakimo she really takes a stand for herself and I really love that Gracie's found that aspect and the like trimmed down version of the script we're using has found that aspect and Paige's direction has found that I think it's really delightful to see Imogen as a more independent character in this play and I think partly it's because even though most of the other characters are written as men being played by actors who present and identify as female I think that gives Imogen a little more power Hmm. with the other characters surrounding her yeah I feel that I really really love the strength that Gracie has found in our Imogen and the independence yeah I love that I feel like I agree I've seen her played very like one-dimensionally yeah and I also agree. I like Gracie makes me laugh and Gracie does such a great job finding the humanity <laughs> in the character. Yeah. So in those moments when you're not laughing, you really feel for her. Um, yeah. The, the very serious scene that they found between Imogen and Pisanio in the middle of the play is just stunning. I hadn't seen it since they reworked it until we did it Wednesday and Thursday this week. And I, Oh man, it's heartbreaking the stuff that they found in there. The the choices that Imogen and Pisanio both have to face in that scene of how to solve this dilemma that Imogen doesn't see a future for herself without posthumous, and the way that Pisanio just digs in and says, "Wait, <laughs> before we go killing you." <laughs> Let's see if we can't find a better solution. I love that scene a lot, watching it the last two nights. I do too. When you talk about agency, 
that's a great place where Gracie has found agency for her. Like she is so firm in her want of that in that scene that I think at the beginning, I'm like, holy crap, how is Pisanio going to talk his way out of this? Right. <laughs> like she, she is so resigned to this happening. Yeah, she is really fascinating. She she makes this decision to like go out into the world on her own when the kind of woman she is wouldn't do that like ever. Yeah. Yeah, well and it's such a it's it's always an interesting balance with Shakespeare taking him sort of out of his era because obviously he was writing to a very specific era in history and I think People with varying degrees of success have found ways to modernize his work. But that that leaves you with the question of the way that most of his women behave is not, doesn't sit well with modern sensibilities. And I think we found a really good balance that, that Imogen should be subservient to her parents, but she wants to follow her heart and that does mean that she has to be a little subservient to her husband, but she's found a way to do that without just making herself a doormat, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I love that. Yeah. Linda, do you have more thoughts you would like to add before we wrap up? I will throw this in at the end and you can trim it if you don't want it in there, but you had posted on social media about you all didn't set out to cast this play with an all- female or non-binary cast that's just who showed up and I love that you took that approach I can't tell you how many callbacks I've gone to in Denver where you see just three or four times as many talented women as men and then the cast list comes out and you go oh oh they couldn't see that these roles that were written for could be played by women either as men or they don't need to be men by the dictates of the script. That's just how they were cast. And I love that you all decided to go this route. And I think you put together an amazing cast. Not tooting my own horn, but oh, <laughs> no, no. cast is so fantastic. And I'm so glad that you picked these people. No, thank you. I, I resonate with that. I am also an actor and have been in so many of those similar situations where it's like, wow, every woman that I just read at this callback for amazing and (laughs) most of us are not going to get this job because they're going to cast down gender lines and that's what it is I feel like we live in an age where when you cast something like all female and non-binary and you go into it knowing that there's like a camp of people who are like well shouldn't you cast the best people like should isn't that who you should be casting and like the beauty of this audition process was like undeniably we just get to say that we did like the best, <laughs> the best people who read for those roles were the people who got them. And they just so happened to be an all-female and non-binary cast. And that's amazing. Well, uh, thank you for being open about that. And thank you for including me in this group. I'm I'm having a blast working with all of them. Of course. And I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. It's weird for me not being in the room. So <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to hear that it's not breaking down. <laughs> no, it's not. Absolutely. This is. This is a very collaborative cast and we have very collaborative creative team to go with it. And I think it's been an amazing process. Awesome. That makes me really happy to hear. (laughs) Thank you so much for doing this, Linda.
If you enjoyed today's episode and you want to know more about Bulls with the Bard, you can follow us at the handles either on your screen or in the description. And tune in next week as we talk about the importance of translations in Shakespeare. Until then, bye all. A thousand, thousand sighs to save, oh, lay me where sad true lover never find my grave to weep there.